0: You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. I'm your host Nicholas Peel, and each week you'll hear from artists, entrepreneurs, and others who have found that betting on themselves has made all the difference. Elena Blankenship works as a falconer and is engaged in all kinds of work with birds of prey ranging from education and rehabilitation to hunting and wildlife abatement. She works with a variety of organizations but most notably founded Wings Over Wine, a group that rehabilitates and releases birds of prey in local wineries. I've always loved seeing and learning about birds of prey, so this was a real treat for me. I'll include some photos in the Facebook post and on my website. If you listen carefully, uh, you might hear some wings flapping or a random scratching sound, and that's because during this interview we were joined by Elena's Aplomato Falcon, which is very cool. I hope you'll enjoy our conversation.
1: My name is Elena Blankenship, and I work with birds of prey. And we work with them in multiple capacities. We work with them in falconry, in abatement, in education, and in rehab.
0: Okay. How, how does your time break down among those different areas?
1: Currently I spend, um, we're all seasoned in the hunting, so I spend the majority of my time doing education. So um, I have a license by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife to do education with birds of prey. Generally, we acquire those birds that have been injured in, out in the wild and are, um, have been cared for and are unable to return to the wild. So um, they are usually either euthanized or placed into an educational home or facility. And we take those birds, such as like an owl, I have a barred owl and a barn owl, and we bring them to schools or camps or um, conventions so that people can learn about their unique ecology, physiology, and um, conservation.
0: What drew you to this area just in the first place?
1: I, uh, you know, I've I've never really had, I'm not one of those that have done it since childhood and who have had a fascination with birds. I never liked birds as a kid because I didn't like keeping them in a cage. And then um, just a few years ago, maybe eight, six or seven, eight, eight years ago, a friend of mine called because she had a bird stuck in her garage. And what do I know? I just have a little more nerve than she does. So I went in to recover the bird and threw my coat over it and said, let me bring it to your bathroom and see if it's okay. Again, what do I know But if a wing's bent backwards, that's probably a bad sign. And I was in there for a while, and when she came in, um, I had this, what I now know is a juvenile Cooper's Hawk sitting on my arm. just got me thinking, and I started to research. And it took me a year to connect with the falconry community. And um, I did a lot of research on myself before I started, and then connect, went out with a bunch of falconers, and then... Um, went to the meets that were open to the public, and then was assigned a sponsor. And so falconry in um, in the States is done the old way with a, sp- a sponsor or master falconer, and you apprentice to them for two years. And they help oversee all of the ins and outs of um, learning to care for the bird properly and to hunt with the bird properly. The, you know, the tendency of falconry is that it's the taking of wild quarry with a bird of prey in fair contest. So um, falconry is more of a lifestyle than just a weekend sport because you care for the bird every day of the year and you do the bird and the sport disjustice if you're um, a disservice or you know injustice if you're not going out several times a week during hunting season.
0: For, just for the bird's benefit, like be active?
1: Um, it's a sport. And you are granted special permission in, in the United States to, to utilize a bird of prey in the sport. If you're not utilizing in the sport, then you are a pet keeper. And that is not allowed in the U.S. Okay.
0: So you mentioned meets. Um, what, what's involved in that? Or what, what, what is the sport of falconry? What does that consist of?
1: Well, the sport of falconry as i said the official definition is taking of wild quarry with a trained bird of prey
0: Could you walk me through that a little bit like Absolutely. What that looks like
1: and so um one of the reasons that a bird of prey will work with you is because you give them a good deal. They're, they can be more successful hunters with you than without you. It's a difficult business being a predator. There's um, a lot of danger to that, and success rates are low. And I think any naturalist who, who studies predators will tell you that um, it's difficult to catch prey. And so they have to have a lot of shots of it. So if we um, have trapped a red tail hawk from the wild, and all of this is permitted and, and um, regulated, we teach it very quickly. It cares about two things, eating and being eaten, that we're not going to eat it. It's trying to get away from us. We have um, put on jesses on the bird, anklets, jesses, and a hood. What's a jess? Um, The anklets are around her ankle. The jess connects to the anklets, which connects to a leash. And that allows us to maintain control of the falcon in situations that would be unsafe or imprudent to have a free-flying falcon.
0: Okay, like a Women of Willamette wine (laughs) night.
1: Or in a car or, you know, at a meet or at a park or somewhere.
0: So what's the function of the hood?
1: So um, the function of the, the falconry hood is to keep the bird calm, is one of the reasons. We, we are transporting oftentimes multiple birds of prey in close proximity. It keeps them safe from each other. And it also sets an intention so for instance if you you're you've taken your bird out of its chamber you put a hood on it you weigh it it knows the routine and when you take it out into the field and you remove that hood the bird's ready to you know ready to go it knows the rules it's it set the intention okay this is our routine it's like gearing up for anything once your gear's on you know you're ready to go and so that hood is part partially um to keep the bird safe, par- partially keep the bird calm, and partially to set the intention of we're ready to go go hunt. So we've taught this falcon that we're not going to eat it, and then we start to feed it, or in this case, a red-tailed hawk, and then we start to uh, offer it food. It doesn't like us, it doesn't want to be there, but when it's jumping away, it's very uncomfortable for it, it's easier for it to stand upright. So it says, okay, I don't like that, but sitting on the glove is better we start to feed it i don't like you i don't want to be here but eating is better than not eating and then as it begins to trust trust us a that we won't he- eat it and b that we will actually feed him we can get the bird to come closer, uh, further and further distances to us so we first start by having it eat on the glove and then we put it on a perch and have it step onto the the glove and then further and further when when your birds coming to you instantaneously at 100 feet then you're ready to go in the field so if we take a red-tailed hawk into a field that has individual blackberry stands and falconry works because everyone knows the rules of the game so we will we release the hawk the hawk goes up into a tree and there's a rabbit in those blackberry bushes hawk knows the rabbit there rabbit knows the hawk there rabbit's not coming out hawk knows rabbit's not coming out because that's the rules of nature they understand that they in in the wild they have to be patient and maybe some one of the rabbits will venture out you know we change those rules so we will either send a dog into the bush or hit the bush with sticks and we're driving that rabbit out now the hawk has a legitimate chance he's going the hawk's going to go after the rabbit so that he can eat and do what he naturally does he doesn't fetch it for us um, we're the bird dog for it and he knows that wouldn't have happened glad you're here, that changed the rules of the game. So as long as you're useful, they're often willing to work with you. And we get to be part of their world rather than um, really bringing them into ours. So we get to do what they do naturally and just accompany them on that. It's very cool. I agree, yeah. When this, you know, um, hunting ducks with uh, a, a large bird of prey, when the system works brilliantly, and when, for instance, my falconry sponsors, his uh, English setters are flushing the ducks out of the water and his peregrines coming from on high to strike it down and then as it catches it the dog stands over it and guards it guards the bird and the dog <laughs> um, it's very cool it just really it's well worth it there right there
0: you can you tell me a little bit about how I I don't know like the right word way to phrase it how do you get a falcon like? How do you go about getting the birds? So, in
1: America, it's highly regulated. So, the first thing that you would do is um, you would go in, in Oregon, look up Oregon Falconers Association and just talk to them. Go out with a falconer, see if so, someone's willing to take you out and go out into a hunt because you need to see if it's really something that is uh, appropriate for you. It, like I said, it's, it's a big, huge commitment. It's a lifestyle. You know, there's, if you're out in the field and your falcon's up in a tree, you um aren't going out that night you know you're not sorry you have a party to go to or an obligation you have a new obligation so that's not necessarily the lifestyle for um everybody so going out with a falconer and learning what it entails is really the first step
0: when you decide that that's like the
1: so where do we acquire the birds yeah is that the question yeah
0: once you've decided that that's a responsible Um, thing for you to do well
1: once you once you've um started going out and you have found a sponsor that's willing to sponsor you because for them it's a huge it's a huge commitment as well they have two years of responsibility it's a lot of time and so you have to show an initiative to them once that that is in place and you have an apprentice falconry license from the state of oregon you then get a trapping permit for instance this is one way to acquire burden as an apprentice you may trap a red-tailed hawk or a kestrel falcon and you know you will choose your bird based on where you're you're hunting and what available quarry there is if you're in a place with zero rabbits a red-tailed hawk is not a good choice for you once you have your sponsor and you've passed the Oregon written test you'll go out with your sponsor to trap a bird and as we said as an apprentice you can trap either a, a kestrel falcon or a red-tailed hawk and um from there on in that's your hawk ho- that's your hawk that you're responsible for for as long as you want to keep it when we trap from the wild the bird um, is releas- re-releasable So if you want to hunt for a bird for a season, you can um, release it there. We can legally trap first-year birds. They're called passage birds. We cannot trap an older uh, red-tailed hawk, and we know the difference because a first-year red-tail has a brown tail. And it's not until after their first-year molt that they, they acquire their distinctive red tail. So that's where you get your hawk. And beyond that, you can buy them. And as you move move up as you move up in the ranks, you can trap um, and acquire different species of birds, but the redtail and the kestrel are believed to be the easiest, and they're also the mo- one of the more prolific birds in America.
0: Um, so I have a couple questions around okay. that. So how long does like a relationship typically last between like a falconer and a bird?
1: Um, it's entirely up to your style, your goals. Like anything, you, you can be more successful if you establish goals. How do I want to hunt? What do I want to hunt? Do, um, as an apprentice, do I want more experience that I that I handle a lot more, you know, additional birds so that I have experience handling different birds versus or do I just want a hunting part of life? Some people have kept their wild caught birds for the duration of their lives others say i want as much experience with different personalities because these birds have their individual personalities they have their individual hunting styles they have their individual fears and and preferences and so you can make that choice whether it's a lifetime relationship a season or several seasons depending on your goals
0: and that kind of leads to my like the other thing that i wanted to know about is like how uh can you talk a little bit about like the different kinds of birds you can work with and kind of what are the advantages or well i guess maybe advantages or disadvantages different uses different Um, traits.
1: i'm not I, i won't speak too too greatly on that as you know as i consider myself a novice as a general falconer and i think you know i believe it takes many many years for for true proficiency and even then i think we're always learning and but based on um each of the birds have a different hunting style in nature and based on the terrain that you have and the quarry you have available and really what you want to do. So, for instance, um, if you're hunting ducks, and, and we are hunters, so we have to hold a hunting license. We have to hold a duck stamp. Um, all of the same rules apply. And just say you have a lot of ponds at your disposal. You're going to want a bird that can hunt ducks on a pond, such as the larger falcons, the jeer falcons, the peregrine falcons. They are, um, that is what they're they're designed to do. If you do, you have more tight-in spaces and, you know, you have ducks on a creek, maybe you want to do a, uh, get a goshawk, and a goshawk is a more advanced bird, and, you know, Apprentice of Alconer's would not have a goshawk. But they, um, they're they called, their classification is an excipiter. They hunt like a dogfighter. They can go 45 miles an hour, boom 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 through the trees, and uh, just turn on a dime. They're, they're magnificent animals. And... That's they might they'll catch things in, in heavy uh, cover, and they're a versatile hawk, so they can catch ducks, or they can catch rabbits, or pheasants, or quail. You know, whatever you have available to hunt. You know, so it, and it's really what your style is. Do you want to see the bird up into the sky, going thousands of feet, and coming down? You choose one type of falcon. Um, if you want really adrenaline-filled tail chases, you might choose something like a Merlin falcon or a Cooper's hawk. So it really depends on what your goals are. It's like um, play, playing golf, which I know absolutely nothing about, and choosing the right uh, the right club for the situation. A lot of um, a lot of the current nomenclature in the in the world comes from falconry. Shakespeare, I think, was an amateur falcon or a falconer, or just enamored by it, and so he he introduced about you know, four dozen termino- terms into mainstream language that come from falconry. So, for instance, right now, you can see the falcon's tied around my little finger. She's wrapped around my little finger. Um, haggard is a word that comes from falconry. We call a haggard bird as a bird that's not a first year. It's an older bird. And, you know, somebody, an bir- older bird is going to look a little worn and weary. The feathers are not going to be great. It's going to look haggard. And so the, the term haggard came out of, of falconry. The word caddy, you know, golf caddy, comes out of falconry. So um, the, mat, when the Lord went, decided he was going to go hunting in the Middle Ages. He has a master of his muse. And that, that, those falconers train his birds. And so when the Lord's ready to go out into the field, he'll have a, um, an individual that will carry what looks like a hula hoop strapped around his body. You know, kind of like a suspender, like a clown suspenders that they, open up the, the big pants, and um, the birds would be hooded and tied or arranged around that hoop, so that when you're out in the field, like having the right golf club, you have the right fa- the right bird for the job, and so that that apparatus is called a cadge. and so the word caddy comes from that which carried the falcons. And, you know, we could do this all day. This interesting.
0: You mentioned that some birds are more, like, advanced than other ones.
1: So, um, personality-wise, a red-tailed hawk and a kestrel falcon will calm sooner. We don't call it taming them. We we man them, which means we just, we acclimate to them and they trust us and they, they look to us for food and trust that we won't eat them or let them be eaten, and, um... A red tailed hawk and and kestrel tend to do that a little more easily. The the high adrenaline birds like a Cooper's hawk, they make their living out of being a little schizophrenic and a little crazy. And um, you need to you just need better, a better skill set. For instance, if you're if you're an equestrian, you're going to buy, get a different reaction out of a draft horse than you are in, uh, out of an Arabian. And so handling matters. And even if you know in all, I think in all hobbies or sports. So if you're, you know, you collect reptiles, do you want to start with a cobra? Probably not. You know, you may want to start with a garter while you, you learn the tools of the trade. Okay.
0: That makes pretty good sense. So what are, we might like listing off a few of the birds that uh, falconers can work with and work with.
1: So they differ across the world, of course, um, and they di- actually differ from state to state. And so in the state of Oregon, you may work with, as an apprentice, a kestrel falconer red-tailed hawk when you become a general you um, you're, it expands I think it includes most of the birds of prey except for like a phrygianus hawk phrygianus hawk golden eagles are uh, f- far more advanced birds and so they they're master falconers work with those but you can have a um,
0: so you can hunt with like eagles
1: mm-hmm. that's a different license again <laughs> right
0: uh, I would expect so <laughs> like, uh, borderline terrifying um Animal. That's uh,
1: a that is a fair that is a fair word. If you take your hand and you you create a, a cup right now with your fingers, that's about uh, an eagle talon. So they are formidable creatures, but um, we also can work with Cooper's hawks, Sharp-Chin hawks, Goshawks. So those three are in a group called. Um, Accipiters. And um, those are forest hawks. So the way that they hunt are adrenaline-filled. They have really long tails, short wings. And all of these birds, their physiology matches their hunting styles. And so the, the forest hawks will um, are the ones that go through the woods and will catch other birds. Uh, the cooper's hawk or sharpshin is what you'll find around your bird feeder. When you're looking out and a, a bird suddenly disappears in a poof of feathers, a, a cooper's hawk has, has probably come through.
0: They're more of like a dive bomber?
1: they are they're just they're just fast they go grab and go poof um a red-tailed hawk for instance is an ambush predator that's why you see them driving down the freeways and you look down it and um they're they're watching these clear corridors for to see a reptile to see looking for rodents or um you know mice rats etc so red tail hawk is an ambush predator that will um haunts the corridors of the freeways looking liking the open view to come down on rodents and other other of its prey it has a pretty versatile diet something like a um, cooper's hawk hides in, in the woods and they move very quickly upon the prey that they rely on their speed and their stealth something like a peregrine falcon hunts the sea, the seagulls and pigeons they that's why you'll find them on the bridges and the skyscrapers of Portland. A lot of bird of prey. And they use their, their formidable speed. We can also hunt with a great horned owl in the state of Oregon. Um, not too many falconers have done it successfully because it's it's a different beast and the way that they're trained is very different. The way that they operate and think are very different. Plus they're a noct- more of a nocturnal hunter. So um, you, you're observational enjoyment is reduced so a lot of um, the falconers that actually are successful do it, you know dawn and dusk and they wind up having to put lights on their their owls and then um so we did the occipiters, we did the beautyos. the beautyos are um, the red-tailed hawk there's also a red-shouldered hawk that we can hunt with and then you can hunt with golden eagles we do not hunt with birds like osprey or bald eagles because of the nature of of their prey what what they go after you know osprey are fish catchers so how do you retrieve your bird you know you go for a swim so it's not very practical the same thing with bald eagles they're just not a practical hunting bird because of the method of their hunting so we do not use those
0: how do you make sure that like when you let go of the bird for like the first time that it doesn't just fly away oh and never that's come back? a nail
1: biting day um, you, you trust in your training you, you, and things go wrong. the Murphy, Murphy's law of falconry is, is always in full force. If something can go wrong, it typically does. But, um, you've worked with that bird and you have flown that bird to you on what's called a creance, And it's just a long l- length of line up to a hundred feet. And if the bird's coming to you a hundred feet regularly and dependably and instantaneously, you have a pretty good confidence that the bird's going to come back to you when it's actually free. Um, but it is nail-biting time.
0: So where do you keep the birds? Is there like a special structure or shelter you need for them?
1: There is a special structure and um, you, you are required in the city of Oregon to build what's called a MEW, M-E-W, or Muse, And um, it's designed with their physiology. So it's, you know, I have a 10 by 10 um, building that has cross ventilation and vertical slats, and just you know, multiple perching surfaces, and and just elements that ensure their safety, ensure that they're kept in good feather, ensure that they're protected from um, predators, that they they're healthy because they get good wind flow. We're required um, to weather them, so we have a weathering yard where the birds can spend time out in the sunshine, but still again be safe from other predators. So all of the equipment that you see here, the perches and things like that are called the uh, the bird's furniture. And again, they all have very specific designs and the different style perches are diff- designed differently for different species of birds. A falcon has um, really long toes for catching birds so she can reach those long toes through the feather of the bird that she's catching. And because of that, her her toes aren't very her feet aren't as strong as a hawk that has short toes. You know, it's a simple physics. And um, because she has those long toes, the better perch for her is a, what's called a block perch, where it's that flat round because that accommodates her toes. Something like a red-tailed hawk does better on what's called a bow perch, which is shaped like a bow, and, because that accommodates their specific foot structure better.
0: Um, can you tell me more about uh, this bird in particular?
1: So this, th- this is a, a young aplomato falcon. She's a, specifically of Peruvian lineage, and she's just two months old. She was bred in captivity. She was bred to do a job. Um, her, fut- her future is going to be as a falconry bird first, and then in the off season she's going to be an abatement bird. And so wh- that takes us to abatement. What abatement is, it's the use of a bird of prey To discourage or harass pest birds, pest species of birds that that endanger a crop. And so, for instance, right now we're um, just entering the grape season. We're coming out of the blueberry season. And you might have a flock of thousands of starlings or finches that will come and decimate a blueberry field overnight. And um, there's so much investment in the, the growing of blueberries or any of the crops that, of, of course, that doesn't make, you know, that's very detrimental to the farmer's continued employment to lose his crop to the birds. You know, many, many tactics and techniques have been tried over the years. They use things like um, air cannons and things that they, they intend to scare away the birds shiny things in the field, squawk boxes, which simulate the sound of a falcon killing a bird, Um, while, and mostly netting. You know, netting of all of those is the most effective because it literally prevents the birds from accessing the grapes, but um, it's extremely expensive. It makes uh, harvest much more difficult, obviously, and care much more difficult. And sometimes some of the birds actually use the nets to stand on to eat the fruit below. They're like, thanks for the shelf. And um, so fa- so the growers have to have, you know, they, they look to another alternative. And so they can use falcon-based abatement. So, um, And what it is is we bring in falcons that are just going to do what they naturally do. And the prey animals are just going to do what they naturally do. They don't want to be eaten by a falcon. So they have to make a decision. There's a, There's a falcon flying over this field. Is that blueberry worth it? how hungry am I? And um, by doing that, by using their natural, you know, predator-prey relationship, we can move large flocks off and, and individual birds off the fruit, and they go find, you know, better takings elsewhere. When we go to an abatement contract, we use multiple birds, depends on, you know, what the field looks like, what, what crop we're protecting, and what the bird pressure looks like. And so when we're looking at big flocks, we'll put one of the larger birds up there. Uh, we have um, a Barbary-Saker hybrid, which is a large larger falcon. And we just send her up, and she starts circling at, you know, anywhere from— 30 feet to several hundred feet. And that really discourages the large flocks from coming in because she can cover so much distance. She can cover a mile pretty easily without batting an eye and um, really push them off the field. When the birds start to make into the bushes or they come in and try and sneak out, sneak one or two pieces of fruit, we'll use some of the smaller falcons like this aplomato, who's kind of larger than a robin and she um she'll go through the bushes and she'll you know she'll go deep into the bushes which the other birds are doing they're hiding in the bushes at a low level cuz they can fly between the stalks and so can she so she'll move them out of the uh rows okay
0: is she more of like a like an adrenaline hunter? You sure, that's that.
1: actually a really good question. Um, Oplomatos are both. They can hunt like an occipiter, like a Cooper's hawk, but they can also hunt like a kestrel falcon and they can wait on or they can hunt off the glove or they can go through the bushes. So, Oplomatos are kind of they're being, becoming really, really um, popular in both falconry and abatement because of their versatility.
0: Have I asked you how many birds you work with at any one time?
1: It depends on, um, you know, what we're talking about. So I guess we'll start from, we'll go back to the beginning for a second. The ways that you can use a bird of prey. So you can use a bird of prey in falconry, which is a hunting sport. You can use the birds of prey in abatement. And that's using the bird of prey to deter pests off of agriculture. Or also, you know, they use them in dumps and and airports and anywhere, resorts, anywhere that you need to move off pests and that, that are natural Pray for the, for the birds that you're using. So you have falconry, you have abatement. I have a further license and I do education with them. It's, an, I think we discussed that earlier, it's another way that you can use the birds. You can use the, a live bird to teach people and, um, about about them and their importance in the world and people get to be face to face and generally appreciate their, their beauty and the versatility and, and gain a greater appreciation. And then the last way that people hold birds of prey in America is is um, rehabilitation, and that's a different license altogether. And these are private; um, these are individuals that see the need to care for injured wildlife. And, um, there's no state or federal program, either logistically or financially, to care for injured wildlife. So it's private organizations such as Audubon, but other ones as well, that say, well, we'll fill in that need. And they um, they're licensed, and all of their facilities are inspected, and they'll take in a bird that was hit by a car, for instance, and you know they'll do what's necessary to try and release it, or you know they'll put it down humanely if that's um, if they're just unable to do that.
0: So speaking of, um, like rehabilitation, and then I think it probably ties into abatement pretty well. Can you tell me a little bit about how you, um, decided to start Wings Over Wine?
1: So, um, my program Wings Over Wine is, comes out of the, um, the fact that I started doing education for some of the wildlife rehabilitators. Training to be a falconer, I at least had some knowledge and some skill about how to handle a bird of prey. And when I, my when i connected with one of the rehabs she didn't have anybody who had that knowledge or skill and she herself was overwhelmed and unable to go out and really do the education that is necessary to, to help people but also to raise funding because as i said there's no you know there's no money from state or federal that allows them to help them to do the work that they do and so um as an apprentice falconer, I started volunteering and I, you know, I got the the benefit of learning how to handle multiple birds and I, I got to handle owls for the first time. And so anyway, in that capacity, I, I, um, I grew and got my own license for education. And then I started freelancing, helping multiple rehabs and not just, just one, but any of the independents that are in our region. And, um, when when, um, when they've rehabilitated a, a bird of prey, they need places to release it. Ideally, you know, um, we want to release them, and we're required by law to release them near the place that they were recovered. But that's not always possible. Sometimes, you know, it's in the middle of intersections of, of freeways, et cetera, et cetera. And... Sometimes, you know, with baby birds, they haven't established a territory. Birds that have been brought in as just young ones and released when they're older and able to take care of themselves. So when the conditions align, I found that vineyards can make some of the best release sites because, of course, agriculture generates agricultural pests, and um, the birds are more than happy to patrol the vineyards and, and eat the birds that would prey upon the grapes. And then we um, it benefits, so that benefits the bird benefits the vineyard but then the other element is we create an event around it where people who wouldn't normally care or even know anything about an owl gets to see one of my ambassador owls face to face with you know when we do all of that with a hope that maybe they'll make some different decisions in their lives you know maybe they decide not to litter because oh you know that might da-da-da-da. and um, maybe they'll have a little more appreciation maybe they won't use rat poison um, and other things, because birds of prey get uh, secondhand poisoning by eating the mice and rats that are poisoned, and it's a horrific way for them to die. So that you know that's the reason that we want we do the education portion. And so the Wings Over Wine program just pairs the right raptor from the, a rehab with the right vineyard, and we make an event about, around it. And then we also raise funds that can go back to that rehabilitator, and they can t- continue the work that they do.
0: Um, how do people what are like the main is falconry something that people can make money with?
1: So um, falconry per se no. Um, I mean I guess I guess there are falconry schools, so I guess in some places, you know I, I don't know about I don't know what, a lot about that, but in some places, I guess there are falconry schools where people can have a falconry experience and make revenue off of that. But generally, no. Generally, you do it for yourself. In education, absolutely not. The birds are protected against commercial use. So when you when you see commercials that require, uh, like, a great-horned owl, you'll probably see a Eurasian eagle owl. You can tell by the orange eyes rather than the bright yellow eyes of a great-horned because they're protected so they can't be used commercially. Um, you know, all of these laws are aimed at not exploiting the birds of prey it all comes out of the migratory bird treaty act i think was 1918 when um birds of prey were hunted to near i'm sorry the the fashion of the day was these big beautiful plumes on the women's the ladies hats that were egret feathers and the egrets were hunted to near extinction because of those to gain those feathers so they um, passed the migratory bird treaty act that protected all birds that are um residents of the united states native residents and all, um, all of their feathers, all of their parts and all of their plumages and feathers and bones. So, um, I guess that's no, you cannot abatement. You can, but there are certain rules that govern that they, you need to use captive bred birds. Again, they don't want wildlife exploited for someone else's profit. And the re- you know, one of the reasons that it, that it's such a, it's such a eco-friendly um, methodology of removing uh of moving the pest birds off there because generally the birds our falcons don't kill the pest birds we don't want them to because then they'll be done working for the day and um it's it's just it's the natural order of things and the natural way that they do it and so it's not putting out rat poison it's not putting out, it's not altering any of the ecology of the situation so it's a very green choice as well as being a really effective choice but things like um having them in captivity prevents the exploitation of the birds I thought you can make money in falconry. Is becoming an abatement falconer, and you know, and that's a lifestyle. We um, in abatement, you work from dawn till dusk every day. So some of the some of the the abatement falconers that that do it for their living, I mean, three months out of the year, that's they're twenty four. You know, they're they're on the site seven days a week, getting up with the sun and going to bed with the, you know with the moon. Uh, if you can go into a crop before the fruit starts to ripen, you can prevent um, a lot of the birds from nesting. If you can prevent the birds from nesting, you're really ahead of the game because once you know once a robin has a nearby nest, they have an investment. So now you have to work harder to have them abandon the site.
0: So for birds to be deterred, like how often do they have to see that predator?
1: Uh, that's a really good question. We said earlier every every bird knows the capabilities and the rules of the game because their life depends on it. And that's why in the wild you can see a red-tailed hawk with a starling sitting next to it, and you're like, "Whoa, that's a foolish starling. Not really because he's a lot more nimble than the red-tailed hawk. And that's true in abatement as well. Uh, for instance, when we take a break, we do it at different times of the day so that the birds don't become acclimated to, oh, there goes the falconer. Um, the birds can tell the difference between an aggressively hunting falcon and one that's just flying around. And so when when we have one of these birds give a, um, a really aggressive chase, we'll call them off before they kill it before you know the, before they tr- catch it, and we'll give them a tree that's larger or, or really good meat that um, says good job on that aggressive chase. So then, if they just fly around, they get a tiny tidbit, and if, as I said, they have an aggressive chase, they get a larger one because I want them to do more of those. That's it's more of effective, and so, you know, sometimes you'll go in on one side, and the prey birds will say, "Hey, she's over there. We'll come in over here," and um, it really is a, a dance. It's a dance that we do, but it it just it's really effective when you um, when we're called in sometimes to say a dump site, and there's thousands of seagulls. You know, you're bringing your large falcons in there, and you, as I said, you're there for most of the day. The, the next day, you show up, and your thousand seagulls are 500. and The next day, you show up, and it's 250. And but you need that continued presence because if you're off for a day, they'll go. Ah, there's nobody here. We'll come. They'll try and come back in. But it generally always it is reduced because it, a lot of them you've you've told them that the price is too high. But you know, you always have the determined individuals, and because flocks work with scouts. They can go tell the rest of the starlings, hey, it's clear, because it's clear. It's a dance. Um, wh- wineries are good release sites because because obviously the grapes bring back bring food for the raptor, number one. This, uh, another reason is they tend to be off the beaten track. They're, they tend not to necessarily be on the, the main thoroughfares, and a lot of the birds that come into rehab come out of car strikes. So the remote locations are another um, another benefit of vineyards as well fewer
0: cars fewer power lines mm-hmm.
1: so and, uh, and some of the vineyards and particularly the ones I choose um, I, I like biodynamic vineyards I like vineyards that set up raptor poles and things like that we released a um, screech owl at Farsing that had number a number of screech owl boxes you know, and a lot of what they do is, is to encourage them in the, naturally anyway. And so I really like the vineyards that make those efforts to encourage that because, um, you know, once the the terrain's perfect and, and they're encouraging that as well, I know the birds in the best possible place. You know, I, I've spent a lot of time, um, I'll spend a lot of time searching the different vineyards for the right habitat for the right bird. You know, I can't put a, a, a kestrel in a forest, you know, it's not its not, it's natural habitat, and it, it's it'll be eaten by a cooper hawk in about three minutes and so um, really finding the right habitat for the the release bird is really critically important. I know with that uh, screech owl I went through probably a dozen that wanted to release it there and I'm like I can't, it's not the right, <laughs> no it's not the right topography for it.
0: Any resources you can share for people wanting to learn more about Falconry, or abatement, or conservation. Well,
1: um, probably. So, for falconry, you can look into the OFA, the Oregon Falconers Association, and you know, join. The, go to their site, and they'll let you know where there are open meets that are open to the public. There's four meets a year, two are open to the public, and people can see it in action. Um, you can contact them and say, "I'm really interested in learning more. Can you give me a list of falconers in the area?" so that I can go you know, go out into, into the field, field with them. For abatement, um, I work for a company called Max Yield, and you can Google um, that or any other uh, falconry-based abatement here in the region. For, to see our releases, it's wingsoverwine.com, and that has a list of the vineyards and the upcoming releases. And then for uh, education, have, uh, our website is isavewildlife.com, and that's where we take the birds into either private companies or schools or camps or fairs or conferences. We're going to be at the um, Malala farmers market tomorrow, for instance. so and that'll be up, up there.
0: Yeah. yeah so thanks for your time.
1: My pleasure. thank you.
0: My guest this week was Alina Blankenship. After our conversation, she showed me the bird she works with. is a very cool experience. You can find photos on the Facebook posts for this episode, as well as on nicholaspl.com. Uh, you can find Alina's nonprofit, Wings Over Wine, at wingsoverwine.org, and on Facebook under Wings Over Wine. You can visit either one of these places for a scheduled upcoming releases. You should also check out isavewildlife.com, schedule a visit, make a donation, or get involved in wildlife education or rehabilitation. If you like this episode, head over to the Facebook page Why I Try a Podcast and click like or share to see photos of Elena's birds, as well as receive updates about new episodes and help others discover Why I Try. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts and your podcast app, and online at nicholaspeel.com. You can also help the podcast grow by leaving a review on iTunes. Finally, I have new posts in Why Try the Focus group that I'd like your feedback on, uh, specifically related to fielding questions and doing research on upcoming guests. You can find the group via the Why I Try a Podcast Facebook page. Music Fest podcast is by Cambrian Explosion. His music has twice thwarted the invasion of the reptilians. Thanks, Cambrian Explosion. You can find them on Apple iTunes, Spotify, and cepdx.bandcamp.com, where you can buy both their albums. Thanks for listening.